they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to the Bible with the Barbers. We're so glad and honored that you took the time to join us with this Bible study. Don't forget, my wife has a Bible study in the evening here at Sacred Heart Chapel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. And of course, again, on Thursday at 1 p.m. for those who don't want to go out at night. But today's Bible readings from Holy Mass, the first reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to 33. And we read this last night together as a couple, and we said, oh, we just have to, this was just so important because of our own formation 30-some years ago, reading this uh, book, Three to Get Married by Bishop Sheen, Casti Canubi from the Holy Father in 1930, and this reading from chapter 5 is often read at weddings. So let's read it, and, and then let's break it apart. Brothers and sisters, be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, he himself the Savior of the body. As the church is subordinate to Christ, so wives should be subordinate to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, and handed himself over for her to sanctify her cleansing her by the bath of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. So also husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hates his own flesh, but rather nourishes and cherishes it, even as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak in reference to Christ and the church. In any case, each one of you should love his wife as himself, and the wife should respect her husband. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Mary Danielle, before we go into our Bible study, we always like to have some commentary on the Bible for the readings from Holy Mass. What's going on here? Well, St. Paul is explaining that marriage is made by God mm-hmm. to reflect the relationship between Christ and his church, which is a reflection of the life of the Trinity. Ah, Trinitarian Jesus, life. Uh-huh. Yes, the Trinity, the inner life of the Trinity. God wants to reveal to us who he is and how he lives within himself. And so he made marriage as a reflection of that reality, which is always loving and life-giving. And also, it's not about um, competition yeah. or who's the best or yeah. who deserves the most um, glory or the most praise or whatever. It's about service. It's about loving one another. The point. How did Christ love his church? 
The cross. Look at the cross. Mm. Christ loved his church to the point of death where he shed every drop of his blood on the cross. Mm. We're supposed to love one another in this manner. And this is what St. Paul is trying to point out to us is that don't get locked into myself and into my own um, narrow-minded view of the world. There's so much more than myself. There's a spiritual world. There's a reality that's so far beyond me that I need to expand, let the Lord with his grace expand my vision of the world and of marriage and of my family and to understand that I'm supposed to be building the kingdom of God here on earth through my loving service of my husband, my family, and the same that husband is supposed to be building the kingdom of God through his loving service of his wife and the children. So it's a more of a complementary exactly. approach yes. where your gifts and our my gifts together work for the greater glory and honor of God. It's Absolutely. not just individually. Exactly. Got exactly. It. Yeah, beautiful. Mary Danielle, I have a little bit of a commentary from the Navarre Bible on this chapter. And I thought it was so beautiful. It said that, and I want to hear your comments on it. The vocation of marriage is then a true way of holiness. Mm-hmm. The founder of Opus Dei was always very emphatic about this. For a Christian marriage is not just a social institution much less a mere remedy for human weakness. It is a genuine supernatural calling. I'm sorry, I have to interrupt that right now. Supernatural calling. It's my way to get to heaven. Right. That's what it is. Exactly. Wow. Now, a great sacrament in the church, I mean, the great sacrament in Christ and in the church says St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. At the same time, it's a permanent contract between a man and a woman whether we like it or not, here comes marriage is instituted by Christ and cannot be dissolved. So the sixth and ninth commandment can't be dissolved by anybody in the church. It's the highest law. Christ taught this. Right, right. So it's a sacred sign that signifies an action of Jesus whereby he helps the soul of those who marry and invites them to follow him transforming their whole married life into an occasion for God's presence on earth. I, I was so moved by that because I say living in the presence of God is the key right. to living this holy life. Yeah. So the holiness of their family and of those connected with it are very much a fun function of the holiness of the married couple. Right. But they must not forget that the secret of marital happiness lies in everyday things, not in daydreaming. Right. You've said that. Exactly. <laughs> now, it lies in discovering the hidden joy of coming home in the evening and affectionate relations with your children and everyday work in which the whole family cooperates. And I love this. And good humor. Have fun <laughs> at home. Joke about things in the face of difficulties that should be met with a sporting spirit and making the best use of the adva- advances of our civilization. So take you know, you need a microwave dinner for night because everybody's busy. So be it. Yeah. Have fun eating it at popcorn. Put right. the popcorn in the microwave. <laughs> there you right? go. There you go. <laughs> so would you say that this commentary on chapter 5 of um, Ephesians is appropriate for married couples to reread often? In other words, that chapter. Is that something that you would recommend? And would you recommend this? Because Jesse and I talked about it earlier in our show. The document Casti Canubi from the Holy Father in 1930 on the balance of marriage. There's a little commentary here yeah. of showing how, uh, you know, one is not higher than the other. Right, right. 
No, it's it's important, and it's important to reread what the scripture actually says, and not, you know, get caught up in the idea that that marriage is some kind of a competition. I, you know, granted, Lucille Ball was a great comedian. Oh, you know, yeah, and the I show, love Lucy. The show was really funny, but the problem with that show was yeah. always that Lucy was always trying to compete with Ricky. It was this constant competition, and so there's not a working together. There's not a yeah. coming together in joy instead of it. it and so what the church holds up for us, what St. Paul is telling us mm-hmm. is that marriage should be this coming together in joy and working together, recognizing, as you said, we have different talents, mm-hmm. different um, roles to play. You know, we can't, if the, the, the husband is the head of the family, well, the family is supposed to represent the relationship between Christ and his church. Well, Christ's church is his body, right? Yes. What happens if you have a body with two heads? That's a little out of the ordinary, right? Of course. So, the husband is supposed to be the head of the family. The wife is supposed to be the heart. But it's not like the head is saying to the heart, I don't need you and you better behave and you better do what I say. It's, it's that the two of them have to work together in a loving relationship, in a giving relationship where they're serving. And again, having fun, enjoy. Um, don't take life too seriously. Yeah, Lighten really. up a little bit. You know, <laughs> I, things go wrong. People make mistakes. People forget things. I mean, oh my gosh, you know. I forgot to get the bread at the store today, or I forgot it, forgot it was your birthday, or I forgot it was our anniversary. And Oops. It, these things happen, you know, yeah. but don't, we don't make a fight over it. Would you also, because we're getting to a break time, I want to give a little plug to a conference that's going to be taking place November 30th, December 1st, called The Deep Heart of God. And this is a healing yeah. weekend here at the, Saint, at the uh, chapel, here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. John Paul II Healing Centers, um, would this be something that couples could come to and would help them in their own marriage? Because all of us are wounded at some point, right? Right. And I think it would be very beneficial for people. We need to ask the Lord for healing in our lives. There's a lot of brokenness in our world, and we really need to depend on the Lord. And again, for marriage, and you, you renew your vows, you need to ask the Lord every day to help you live it. It is a vocation, a calling from God. Mm-hmm. And what I would recommend is you go to their on their online registration, jp2healingcenter.org. I'll repeat it because I'd li- I'm going to be there. My wife's going to be there, God willing. Please go. <laughs> jp2healingcenter.org to join us for that weekend, November 30th and December 1st. Mary Danielle, we're going to have a quick break coming up, but I want to ask you to share with our listeners What's the focus going to be on for the last you know, three segments of the show? What are we going to be studying today? We're going to be looking at um, Pope Pius XII's encyclical letter, mm-hmm. Divino e Flante Spiritu. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, it's about, yes, uh, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the right? Holy Spirit, yep. Yeah, and, and uh, so we're looking forward to looking at that and seeing what the Church teaches us about the Scripture, how we should read it, how we should study it. Excellent. When we come back, we'll do that. And again, those who want to join us in supporting Virgin Most Powerful, all of our programs, go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. And we have a new app for the Apple users. Go down and get that now. i got to remind everybody of that. We'll be back more with the Barber, Bible with the Barber. This is Terry Barber inviting you to the upcoming Spiritual Warfare Conference, January 11th and 12th at the Sacred Heart Chapel in downtown Covina. 
If you go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org, you can join us with that. Or call us at 877-526-2151. Jesse Romero will be there. Father Wolfgang will be there. And our very own Matt Arnold will be there. And I'll be the MC. Don't miss out on this wonderful event, January 11th and 12th. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. We desperately need to fix the bugs so you can listen live on our app or YouTube without any glitches. Plus, meet traditional broadcast standards in order to provide our exclusive programming to Catholic radio stations around the country and around the world absolutely free of charge. As usual, we're doing it all on a shoestring budget, but we cannot do it without you. If you like what you hear on Virgin Most Powerful, I ask you to please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back, everyone. Glad you're with us. Absolutely, we're back. Isn't it nice to have a lot of job descriptions, Mary Danielle? Yeah, it keeps you busy. It does. Sweetie, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Holy Spirit and what the church teaches about Again, the inspiration of the Bible. There you go. In, in 1943, Pope um, Pius XII yes. wrote Divino Eflante Spiritu. And he starts out, um, remember again, encyclical letters take their name from the first three words of the Latin document. Oh, is that how it works? That's okay. how it works. So that's where they get their Latin name. So Got it. inspired by the divine spirit. Those are the first words of Divino mm-hmm. Eflante Spiritu, inspired by the divine spirit. The sacred writers composed those books which God, in his paternal charity toward the human race, deigned to bestow on them in order to teach, to reprove, to correct, to instruct in justice, that the man of God may be perfect, furnished for every good work. This heaven-sent treasure, Holy Church considers as the most precious source of doctrine and of faith and of morals. No wonder, therefore, that as she received it intact from the hands of the apostles, so she kept it with all care, defended it from every false and perverse interpretation, and used it diligently as an instrument for securing the eternal salvation of souls as almost countless documents in every age 
bear witness. So the Holy Father's telling us that the scriptures are a gift from our Father in heaven, that he wants us to know the way, the truth, and the life. And so he gives us this gift. So that comment that ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ really does fit this, but how do we get to know the person of Jesus without reading the Bible? It's kind of hard to do. It is hard to do. It's extremely hard. And, and doesn't the church give us encouragement to read the very Bible every day with indulgences? And it's just really, it's, it's, it's like screaming at us, read your Bible, Terry. Right. right. It's part of the daily prayer life of the church. If you go to daily mass, what do you read? You know, what, what do we read from? The scriptures we yeah. read from the gospels. Every day there's a gospel, but then the readings vary between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And and on Sundays we have an Old Testament reading, a a psalm, and then a, a New, Te- New Testament reading, and then of course the gospel. And on daily mass we always have a psalm in between. On daily mass you have just the first reading in the gospel, but you always have a psalm in between. And then all of the religious in the church, all of the monks and the nuns and the monasteries. They pray the divine office every day, which is made up of scripture. It's they pray the scripture, they pray the psalms, they pray the, the hymns from the Old Testament. And it's just the church always encourages her children to read the scripture because it is through scripture that we come to know God and what he wants for us. So, Mary, this idea that there's still out there of people saying, you Catholics don't read the Bible. After what you just said, I would recommend our listeners repeat what my wife just said. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, which came first, the Bible or the church? Right, right. The, the church, church came first. And, as, and you as, wouldn't have the Bible without the Catholic Church. Absolutely. As, as Pope said, as Pope uh, Pius right. XII said in his letter here, we received the Bible from the apostles. Exactly. It was the apostles who passed on what books were canonical, and then eventually the church had to define that. Good. It becomes, you know, when it becomes necessary, she defines it. Mm-hmm. So the Pope went on to write, in our own time, the Vatican Council, with the object of condemning false doctrines regarding inspiration, declared that these same books, the books of the Old and New Testament, were to be regarded by the church as sacred and canonical, not because, having been composed by human industry, they were afterwards approved by the church's authority, Mm -hmm. nor merely because they contain revelation without error, but because having been written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they have God for their author, and as such, were handed down to the church herself. Wow, you know, that just touches me, because I've been around a few years, and I've heard people somehow kind of explain just the opposite, that this is just a reflection, and they they water down the, the teachings of what Christ taught, and his church teaches about the Bible. So, it, it seems that if we go back to the source, we really can get authentic teachings rather than opinions. Correct. And that's what we want. We want to know what the church herself teaches. And granted, you know, theologians, um, scripture scholars, they go back and forth. And it, it's, in human science, if you're dealing with just human science, we're always learning something new. Sure. God is the author of all creation. Mm-hmm. He's the author of all science, of everything that science will ever study, because he made everything. Yeah. Were you there when, when I made the sun or the earth? I mean, yeah, I, know. I mean, really, it's really, very humbling, really. isn't it? Yeah. Were you there when he made the stars? I mean, can we call the stars by name? It's like, can you call forth the dawn or make the dark, he says to Job. Yep. Well, no, I can't. And, and because God made it all. Is he going to lie to us about what he made? No. I mean, if, to say that scripture could have historical errors or scientific errors is to say that God could falsify 
what's going on in the universe when he's the author of it all. Well, that's a serious uh, statement when you say that. And doesn't that just undermine everything we believe about the Bible when you say that? Yes, it does. I mean, everything. It, and Because the church doesn't teach what's called limited inerrancy. And this Ooh, is one of the reasons why Pope yeah. Pius XII wrote this letter yes. is because there was this idea of limited inerrancy. It's like, oh, well, yes, the, the, the scriptures are inerrant, but the only things inerrant in scripture or inspired in scripture are those things that apply to faith and morals salvation yeah. and and pope pius XII is saying no yep. everything is because everything comes to us from god so even what's in history or what's in science in the scripture it's not a science book it's not a history book and they may have used ways of expressing things that were common in the time mm -hmm. but that doesn't make them false and it doesn't make them inerrant or not inspired by god we need to delve deeply. We need to work hard. There are many things in Scripture that are very difficult to understand and to even harmonize sometimes. But hey, you know what? Are we going to be lazy and sit back and say, well, you know, it's too hard. Forget it. Psh, I'm done. It seems to me, Mary Danielle, that most people, when they're told that the Bible is just another book, they don't get excited. Why would you want to read just another book? The uniqueness of God's Word yeah. There's nothing like it. There is nothing like and, it. And I think that we need to shout that from the rooftops yeah. because especially our young people today, I've talked to young people and they say, well, I didn't know that it was the church who put the canon together, the list of books, of what, right. what would be the inspired word of God. And they start understanding authority rather than opinions. Correct. And that's what we have. We have an authority because God revealed to us. It's revelation. Yes. The scriptures are part of divine revelation. Mm -hmm. And and God revealed to us how we are to worship him, how we are to live in relationship with him here on this earth so that we can live with him for all eternity in heaven. We're not going to do it today. <laughs> but when you said the Bible has a lot to say about worship, yeah. one of these days, I've heard it before with you, a book of Revelation and how the word, how our mass comes is so biblical. Yeah, That's true. another topic. Yeah, that is. But I want to stick to what you're dealing with right now with the Holy Father about the spirit and the inerrancy of scripture. Uh, we have a couple, let me see, I, I look at my clock. Yeah, we've got about uh, six minutes before the break, so let's continue. Let's continue here. So the church encourages biblical studies, and she also encourages the, uh, the sciences to further the studies. In the Middle Ages, not everybody knew the Greek and the Hebrew. Not everybody could even read, right? Well, you, but I mean the scholars. The scholars I'm talking the, about the scholars. Okay. And the, and the, because what happened was when St. Jerome translated the scriptures oh, yeah, into the good. Latin, he yeah. made the Latin Vulgate. Well, that made it so that all of the Western church didn't have to struggle with and this is mostly in the Western church, didn't have to struggle with the, the Greek or the Hebrew. They could just you know, stick to the Latin here. And, and that was wonderful because the Latin is, it's a, it's a, it's a, St. Jerome's translation is considered by the church to be absolutely trustworthy. We can trust his translation. But it's better to go back to, and this is something that's been encouraged in modern times, to go back to the original languages, study the original languages, know the original languages, and archaeology has helped with this, and also looking at ways of expression in the ancient world. If you don't know the ancient languages, you can't look at what they wrote Makes and sense. find out what were the ways of expressing things. Because if you want to know the literal historical meaning of the text, you need to know how people at that time expressed reality. 
And again, I, I give the, the example from science. I mean, how many of us would say a scientist was incorrect if he said sunrise tomorrow will be at 6 a.m.? You know, sunset this evening will be at 6.45. You know, oh, well, wait a minute. How unscientific can you be? You mean the world, our side of the world is going to be turning away from the, the sun at 6.45 this evening and, and sunrise tomorrow, not sunrise, but our side of the world will be turning. We don't say it that way. We don't say that cumbersome. We still say sunrise and sunset, and we accept that as a... Sure legitimate way of expressing. And so too, in the scriptures, there are ways of expression in human language that aren't necessarily like that, telling exactly the scientific reality of what's going on. But at the same time, it's not false because it's what appears to our senses and or in terms of historical truths, what was historically expressed at that time? How did people express the reality of their society? I get it. So you got to go back at the time. What were their traditions right. and expressions? And I get all that. But the bottom line is God's word to us today in 2000, almost 19, is still applicable to God's people no matter what time. There's no expiration date on that book, correct? Correct. There's no expiration date. And we still have the greatest reverence for sacred scripture. And yep. we need to not um, take the scripture and start treating it like it's just a human document. Oh yeah. We need to approach the scripture with an attitude of faith and have this tremendous reverence for this is a gift from God. God inspired men to write these words. He has something to say to us. Yes. Hey, how can we hear it if we never read it? Right? Well, well said. When we come back from the break, I know that by the time we have the show done, you're going to hear some interesting notes about the Dead Sea Scrolls and what it had to say and confirm about what we believe about the Bible. It's fascinating stuff. And you'll find, what are the Dead Sea Scrolls? Well, when you come back, my wife Mary Danielle will explain what that is and why it's important to do the research. Yeah. So you're listening to The Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Catholic Radio. I also want to remind you, Mary Danielle will be speaking at the Biblical Studies Conference January 11th and 12th here at the Sacred Heart Chapel, along with Jesse Romero. Father, who's going to be coming? Father Wolfgang. Father Wolfgang's coming. Spiritual Warfare. Spiritual Warfare Conference. And Matt Arnold will be here. So I would recommend you go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org, and then you can register for that conference, or you can call 877 877- Five two six two one five one. For those who are just looking in the back of our studio, you see the crucifix and the Bishop Sheen picture and all the work that we've been doing. I want to take this moment just to say thank you for you because you've supported us to build this state-of-the-art studio. And we've got one more studio to my right that we're working on. And if you wanted to join us with uh, you know some financial support, you can go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or you can call us at 877-526-2151. Wanted to mention big news. Yesterday we got the approval with Apple for our Apple uh, and the uh, app. The app for the phone. Brand new app. You can go on and to your Apple store and type in Virgin Most Powerful Radio and get our latest and greatest app. I think you're gonna be happy. We've been working months on this. You're listening to the Terry. You're listening. Oh, you're listening to the Bible with the Barbers, <laughs> not Terry and Jesse. We'll be back with more on Virgin Most Powerful.
Matthew Arnold here, encouraging you to go to vmpr.org to register for our upcoming Spiritual Warfare Conference this January 11th and 12th at the Sacred Heart Chapel in Covina. Father Wolfgang will be speaking along with Jesse Romero, Terry Barber as MC, and yours truly, talking about spiritual warfare and the family. Protect your family now. Go to vmp.org and register for this conference. Don't miss it. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. We desperately need to fix the bugs so you can listen live on our app or YouTube without any glitches. Plus, meet traditional broadcast standards in order to provide our exclusive programming to Catholic radio stations around the country and around the world, absolutely free of charge. As usual, we're doing it all on a shoestring budget, but we cannot do it without you. If you like what you hear on Virgin Most Powerful, I ask you to please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. selling your home or your business property this is terry barber real estate for life underwrites the terry and jesse show and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world and when they receive their referral fee they will give 80 percent of it to a pro-life organization wow that's 80 percent realestateforlife.org 877-LIFE-US-1 Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. We're back, Mary. We're back. We're back. So in this document, the Holy Father goes over things. Um, the theological doctrines should be expounded um, from the divinely intexted. Excuse me. I'm doing as, bad, as good as you are. I know. Go ahead. We're tripping over our words today here. Yeah. Divinely inspired texts. So we want to look to the magisterium of the church. We have a teaching authority in the Catholic Church because Jesus Christ established his church and he set up this authority. The magisterium is the pope and the bishops in union with him. And to them was entrusted this sacred deposit of faith that included the scriptures, but also included the sacred tradition and the, you know, the living tradition of the church that isn't written down. St. Paul told us, he said, I've handed, hold fast to what I've handed on to you, whether by word of mouth or in writing. And St. John said, if all the things that Jesus had said and did had been written down, the world couldn't hold the books. <laughs> so there was a lot that was done in those three years when the apostles were living with Jesus that weren't necessarily written down. That's true. We, we want to look at the fathers of the church. What was their interpretations? How did they see the scriptures? How Who are the fathers them? of the church? The fathers of the church are the, um, the bishops and the saints and doctors of the church of the first 600 years and they expounded what the teachings of the apostles were. They explained to us mm -hmm. what the church um, understood. Mm -hmm. They give to us the, you know, you have lots of them. The, sure. 
but um, yeah. So they were they were writing down. You have besides the scriptures, you have these this collection of writings from the fathers about. I think it's about the first six hundred years, mm-hmm. and they were giving us what was given to the apostles and passed on to them, and so they're passing it on. So it's important to go. You can look up the Fathers of the Church on New Advent. You can sure. look it up different places on the Internet. And you can read what they wrote, St. Augustine and St. Jerome and St. Irenaeus and St. You know, there's Polycarp and there's well, many, many, I, again, many. I just wanted people to understand who the Fathers We hear that term. Right. And a lot of people ask me often, well, who are these Fathers? Who are these Fathers? Yeah. I, do I know them? You're, <laughs> you're back, back with Bible with the Barbers here. Yep. And also we have the analogy of faith, and that is that the teaching of Scripture is consistent with the teachings of the church. Because the Scriptures were given by God and revealed by God, Mm -hmm. because the church was established by God and not everything was written in Scriptures, the two cannot be at odds with each other. They go together. So we need the church to explain the Scriptures to us and to a proper understanding of the Scripture. And at the same time, we need the Scripture to show us the way, the truth, and the life, that this is God's word written down. It's really telling us what God wants us to know. I'd like to add a little bit more what you mentioned about the ordinary magisterium of the church is expressed with a particular teaching on faith and morals. It's maintained. Listen to this. Always, everywhere, and by everyone. This was the rule of St. Vincent of St. Lawrence. The teaching is maintained by the Pope and all the bishops in union with him as they are scattered throughout the diocese. This is such a beautiful teaching on magisterial teaching. The extraordinary magisterium, Mary, what is that? Well, the extraordinary magisterium is is exercised when the Holy Father would were to speak ex cathedra mm-hmm. or when you have the Pope and the bishops meet in a council. But the, the Pope and the bishops don't have to meet in a council for us to know that a teaching is there, it's confirmed by the church, That's and right. it, we are supposed to believe it. Amen. The ordinary magisterium, when they when the Pope and the bishops as the bishops are scattered in their individual diocese throughout the year, throughout the earth, maintain a particular teaching yeah. on a given faith or moral issue. By that very fact, that teaching is infallible. That's the ordinary magisterium. But not to get off the subject, but if, if for example, I'm just going to give you, uh, I'm sorry to get you in the hot water, <laughs> but if a bishop's conference says something about marriage that's not according to the mind of the church, uh, but that's not the ordinary teachings of the church, then that wouldn't be, you wouldn't be morally obligated if for some reason some bishop decided to, you know, because we've heard this before where some bishop says some crazy thing. And ask yourself as a faithful Catholic, how does that, right. you know, manage up to what the catechism of the Catholic Church teaches? So I, I try to reassure people that we have this truth in the times that we're living in. Sometimes bishops and priests might not be teaching shockeroo what the Catholic Church actually teaches. Don't let it scandalize you. Right, and it's not the first time it happened. At the time of Arius, Arius was a heretic. He didn't believe that Jesus Christ was God. He didn't believe he was man either. That's a big thing. Yeah, it was a big thing. He didn't accept him as God or man. He said he's some kind of a third, you know, new kind of creature that God made. Over 70% of the bishops of the Catholic Church became Arians. They disbelieved. They rejected the, the divinity of Christ, and they gave up belief in the Trinity. And so the Pope and the bishops who were in union with him had to say no what we believe, and they had to firmly and solemnly define what we believe about the identity of Jesus Christ. So, and in our time too, there's always it's always times of confusion. And no, it's not about what one individual teaches. Look at what the church has always taught. Amen. Look at what you know, and then you know because, and we can look, we can mm-hmm. see. 
what is the church taught? We can read the documents. And I granted, some people are like, but I don't have time. And I was like, well, don't we have time? How much time do we spend watching TV? How much time do we spend listening to the radio? How much time do we spend just watching sports events? I mean, the other night that that World Series game that went 18 innings and it was over five hours. How many of us would go to a church event or a Bible study for over five hours? Come on, guys. Um, That's a good point. What's got our attention? What's making, you know, exciting us in life? So we need to make the time. We need to make the time to to do the things that are important. And it's important for us to know what the church teaches and has always taught. Absolutely. And there's always going to be times of confusion and people who, you know, teach things that aren't in accords with what the church has taught. And so... Um, in his encyclical, back to the encyclical, mm-hmm. um, the church is very clear on the fact that, that the scriptures are inspired mm-hmm. by God and that their interpretation of scripture is, um, you know, the church hasn't solemnly defined a lot of scriptural dot. That's for sure. Uh, Only a couple. I understand. Right. right. She hasn't gone through every, every passage of scripture and said, okay, solemnly, this is what <laughs> this means. This is what. So there's a lot of room for sure. explanation. There's a lot of room for growth. There's a lot of room for us to grow in our understanding mm-hmm. of what the scripture is teaching us. And the church encourages this. She wants, she wants scholars to, but not to lead us away from God and not to say, oh, well, we don't have to believe the scriptures. I mean, you know, they're just human documents. And well, you know, Jesus, anything that appears to be a miracle or anything that appears to be divine intervention, we have to understand that God can't really intervene in human history. No, that's not Catholic teaching. No way. <laughs> the church has never taught that. Yeah. If we believe that the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Son of God became man, well, um, if God can become man, take to himself our humanity and live among us, then yes, God can intervene in human history. And that's what the scripture is showing us, how God intervened in human history from the beginning. I mean, God made human history. God made man, right? That doesn't mean that he made all the wars and rumors of wars that went on in history. You know, some people say, well, God made everything and therefore God made sin. No, uh, stop. Wait a minute. Let's stop a minute. Um, Sin is not a creature. Sin is a rejection of the goodness of God. It's a rejection of being in a philosophical sense. So no, God didn't make sin. Sin came into the world when, for man when man chose to sin. Sin first existed in the universe when the angels, the bad angels, rebelled against God. So it's not a creature. It's God. a rejection of goodness. So no, God didn't make everything in, in terms of what we call things, because we call sin things. We call wars things. We call evil things. They're not. They're actually an absence of goodness, Absolutely. and they're a rejection of God. Everything that God made was good. And God can... Bring good out of evil. Yes, he can. He would never allow an evil to happen. Isn't that beautiful? Except that he can bring a greater good. Amazing. What was the greatest evil that ever happened on the face of the earth? That's right. The killing of God. Man killed God. This was the greatest evil that ever took place. And why did Jesus Christ allow himself to be crucified? To prove to us the depth of his love Mm -hmm. and to pay the price to God for our sins. We owed God. Any sin against God is an infinite offense, mm. and only God could pay back to God what was owed to him by the offense that was committed through sin. And so Jesus Christ came to redeem us, and he was willing to give himself as the price. But he had to be God in order to redeem us, and he had to be man in order to redeem us, because only God could pay the price back to God that was owed to him. But if he wasn't truly man, if he didn't assume human nature, then our human nature is not redeemed. He had to be both. Well said, Mary. Well said. So the inspiration of the Bible, we we have to believe it. We don't go into reading the Bible with doubt. That that's something that Precisely. many people are are questioning. And you're saying no. 
we go in um, with faith with that faith. this is God's word yes. and what's here is true and yes. I need to embrace that and conform my life to the word of God. That's correct. That's correct. And that doesn't mean there aren't difficulties. That doesn't mean there are things that aren't hard to understand. And as St. Augustine pointed out, he said, you know, when, when there are things in scriptures that I can't explain this or understand, Listen up. I may have a bad copy because yep. the copies aren't guaranteed to be inerrant right. or inspired. Mm-hmm. I may have a bad translation because right. the translations aren't guaranteed to be inerrant or inspired. Oh, but there's one other possibility St. Augustine gave. <laughs> uh, let's see now. What was that? Oh, Maybe there's something I don't Me? understand. Yeah. yeah, we want to humble ourselves before the Lord. We want to be humble and say, Lord, yeah, you are God. I am not. You've revealed things that I don't fully understand, but I want to trust you because I know that you have the truth. And by the way, this is where Adam and Eve got into trouble. They allowed their trust in God to die in their heart. Mm. God made them. He was a father to them. He took care of all of their needs. He gave them everything they needed. And the, the tempter came, the devil came and tempted them with, oh, but God's keeping something from you. Mm-hmm. He's, he hasn't really revealed to you everything that he knows. And if you eat the fruit that he told you not to, then you'll be like him and you're going to know good and evil. Well, you know what? God intended us to be like him, never to be God, but to share in his life. He intended that from the beginning. But we don't, we can never know everything that God knows. And Adam and Eve in that moment allowed their trust in their creator to die in their heart. And they decided that they were going to be able to decide what was good and evil. And they would get to choose what was good and evil. And they chose the fruit. They chose to sin and to reject the goodness of God in order to choose a limited good. And they created a mess. (laughs) So it wasn't because they feared God. No. See, and sometimes I've heard that position Okay, I get it. Hey, when we come back, I promise you, I'm going to twist my wife's arm gently and ask her to talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls and why, what we've learned from those Dead Sea Scrolls that confirm what we as Catholics believe about the Bible. You're listening to the Bible, the Bible with the barbers. <laughs> and we changed our time to 12 noon, so it's right after the Terry and Jesse show. I would ask you, if you haven't got our new app on your Apple phone, You've got a brand new app. You have to get rid of your old app, put the new one on, and I think you're going to love it. Uh, So if you can do that and tell your friends, and also pass these programs on through social media to your friends so they can join us and learn more about Jesus and his bride, the church. We'll be back with more Bible with the Barber. I want to invite you to the Spiritual Warfare Conference coming January 11th and 12th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. It's going to be fantastic. I want to encourage you to sign up by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. One of the speakers is sitting right next to me, Matthew Arnold. Matt, what are you going to be telling our folks about? I'm going to tell them about my journey into the Catholic Church because in my younger days, I was in the entertainment business. I was all involved with cult beliefs and practices like tarot cards and astrology and even channeling. And I had my own brush with the demonic. Wow. Not only Matt, but Father Wolfgang from the Opus Angelorum, popular priest, he's welcome back. And our friend Jesse Romero, my partner on the Terry and Jesse show, will be there. Don't miss it. Go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call us at 877-526-2151. 
It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. As usual, we're doing it all on a shoestring budget, but we cannot do it without you. If you like what you hear on Virgin Most Powerful, I ask you to please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to the Bible with the Barbers. I made a promise that I'd have my wife talk a little bit about, you know, what are the Dead Sea Scrolls? We've heard about them, I think it was like 1947 when they were, you know, found. What's the significance of the Dead Sea Scrolls, my love? Well, these scrolls were found at a place called um, Qumran by a Bedouin shepherd. Mm -hmm. And it's extremely significant to scripture studies and understand the relation between the Hebrew scriptures and the the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And um, there were hundreds of manuscripts that were found. And there were 11 different caves that were explored there. And they had... um, the, the, the biblical text there, there were two categories of scrolls. You had biblical text and you had non-biblical text. Mm. Okay, and the scrolls date from the 3rd century B.C. to about A.D. 68. And what you have here, one of the things that they found out through the Dead Sea Scrolls okay. is that at the time of Jesus, the Hebrews had no official canon of Scripture. Interesting. They didn't have a um, set book that they considered the Old Testament. Okay, they also found what we call the deuterocanonical books, those books that the Protestants rejected because they said, well, the Catholics added those. Right. Because those came from the Septuagint and the Hebrews never never accepted those because those were written in Greek. And um, well, it's interesting because they found Hebrew versions of the deuterocanonical books in the (laughs) Dead Sea Scrolls. They also found in the Dead Sea Scrolls for years, you know, there's been extra biblical evidence that Matthew wrote his gospel in the language of the Hebrews before it was written in Greek. Okay. But there was never a full copy of it. So many scholars in the modern times in the 20th century were saying, well, obviously that was made up by the fathers of the church and there couldn't have been any um, Matthew written in the. Well, they found fragments (laughs) of the Matthew gospel written in the language of the Hebrews. And by the way, these these writings go up to 68 AD. So that's before 70 AD. Yeah, before the fall. That's right, before the destruction of Jerusalem. So Matthew's gospel was written in the language of the Hebrews before the fall of Jerusalem. So interesting things that we discover here. Mm -hmm. 
And there's a, there's different things that um, who lived there at Qumran. These were Jews um, that lived there. And um, Josephus tells us there were three philosophical sects of Jews, the followers of the first of whom are the Pharisees. The second were the Sadducees. And the third, who pretends to a server disciple are called Essenes. These last are Jews by birth and seem to have a greater affection for one another than the other sects have. These Essenes reject pleasure as an evil, but esteem continence and the conquest over our passions by, to be virtue. The ne- they neglect wedlock, but choose out other persons, children, other persons' children while they are pliable and fit for learning and esteem them to be for their kindred and form them according to their own manners. So these basically these were monastic Jews. They were Jews. celibates. They were celibate monastic Jews. Yes. <laughs> That's what they were. Isn't that interesting? And they dedicated their life to study and yeah. prayer. Wow. And they like were living months. they were living there um, by the Dead Sea in, in Qumran. That's interesting. And yeah, it's a, it's a, a incredible para- parable there that they had um, with uh, some of the early Christian, you know, and of course, now Josephus observes that they rejected pleasure as evil. As Christians, we don't reject pleasure as evil. No. But we understand that God made pleasure, but there's a greater good than the pleasures of this world. Mm-hmm. We're made for union with God in heaven, which Amen. is the greatest good. And so we can reject the goods of this world in order we can say no to them because we're looking for a greater good up ahead. We're looking for a greater good. We're looking for that union with God in heaven. So it's not that we see pleasure as evil. It's that we see that union with God is greater than the pleasures of this world, whatever they be. And so we want to sacrifice the legitimate pleasures in order to be able, we give up sin first, and then we want to sacrifice even the legitimate pleasures in order to be able to be united to God in heaven. And also just a quick note, I know we're running short on time, but Mary, the idea of a celibate priest in the year 2019 coming up, many people are saying, oh, we need to you know, have a married clergy and all this. Here's my point. Is it not a sign that there is a heaven when you see a man who denies having the pleasures of a wife and family and says, I'm going to dedicate my entire life to spreading the gospel and live a celibate life? Is that still not uh, a witness in a modern world today? Absolutely, it is a witness. And, and a that's, woman who becomes a nun? Right. The religious life, the, the, the taking of vows, the priesthood and the religious life, there are signs of how we're going to live in heaven. Jesus Future. said, he said there's going to be no marriage in heaven. Yeah. There's no marriage or giving in marriage in heaven. Right. It doesn't happen. Once we dead, once we die, there's, that's it. Marriage is for this earth. It's for the procreation of children. And it's, it's to be an image of the Trinity, an image of the relationship between Christ and his church, as we spoke about in the early part of the show. Mm-hmm. So that once we're in heaven, we don't need that sign anymore so that the marriage won't exist. We will all live like the angels. We will all be virgins in heaven. Mm-hmm. Christ is the bridegroom. Yeah. We are all the bride. The, the soul is always feminine in relationship to God. And not to change the subject, but since you talked about heaven, what will we be doing in regards to worship in heaven? Well, in heaven, you have the worship of God going on continuously. The angels sing holy, holy, 
holy Lord God of hosts. Oh, Sanctus, Sanctus, yeah, Sanctus. Sounds like we're at Mass. Yeah, sounds like we're at Mass. And <laughs> the lamb who was slain, the, the victim who immolated himself, yeah. it lives for all eternity, this act of immolated love. Christ is continually offering himself to the Father in heaven in his risen, mm-hmm. ascended, glorified state. And the angels and saints worship him and they praise God. They praise in adoration, honor and thanksgiving, glory, power and might to our God and to the lamb. Everything that Christ did on this earth will not be forgotten. It will never be forgotten. Christ still bears his scars. His scars are glorified, but he still bears his scars. He's still the lamb who was slain. He's still the victim who immolated himself. Mary, you've got so much more to share, but I just want to uh, always leave with a, a with an action item for our listeners because they have time the whole week before we come back to join them in their living rooms or at home. Um, what would you recommend as a source for those who want to know a little bit more about, uh, you know, the encyclical, the Pope, or what, where, you know, where they can go online to. I know, I know New Advent, but the Vatican website also has a lot of these documents. Yes, the, 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 the encyclicals of the Holy Fathers are on the Vatican website. This one that I have, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you can see it yeah. on the camera, but um, Divino Eflante Spiritu, in Latin, the I has a long E sound, so it's D-I-V-I-N-O. Eflante is the second word, A-F-F-L-A-N-T-E, Spiritu, S-P-I-R-I-T-U, Divino Eflante Spiritu. You can go online to the Vatican website and get this. It's important, I think, to read these documents that the Holy Fathers have written because there's so much confusion about what the church actually does teach and believe about scriptures. And the highest regard. The church holds the scriptures in the highest regard. We want to read those scriptures every day, Mm. even if it's only 10 minutes, even if you just sit down with the, you can go online and look on the the Catholic bishops of the United States, UCCB, UCCB, and you can get the daily readings, the daily mass readings. Even if you can't go to daily mass, you can read those readings. Spend time with our Lord every day, reading his word. Ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you and inspire you. Because our Lord is speaking personally to each one of us. This mm-hmm. is a letter from our Father, and not only from our Father, but from our brother Jesus Christ, Amen. the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. And so read that scripture every day. I Especially this week, uh, action item, uh, first Friday this week, please make Eucharistic adoration on the ah, first Friday. That's right. uh, and a big day. We have All Saints Day on Thursday and All Souls Day on Friday. So when you go to make your adoration before the Blessed Sacrament, remember to thank all the saints who've been faithful and to pray for all the souls in purgatory. Yeah, and don't forget, on All Souls Day, the priests are able to offer three Masses. Every priest can offer three Masses. I didn't know that. It was Pope Benedict the 15th in 1915 that implemented that. I learned that today in my research, but my point is, Ask your priest, hey, when are you saying all your masses? Because I want to try and get to three masses myself and pray for all my relatives right. who have died. Uh, and um, it's just a good practice. So we've got a big feast of All Saints Day. And I think about that, all the saints. And I'm not talking about just canonized saints, right, Mary? Well, everyone in heaven, everyone a is a saint. They have the angels and you have the saints. And all those people who are on earth, when we go to heaven, we human beings do not become angels. We will be saints. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the question. Do we do we all want to be a saint? I hope everybody says yes, because those are the only ones that are going to get to, to heaven. heaven. Right. And Mary, the final thought with these minutes left that we have, as we go along, we've had four or five weeks of doing these Bible studies. I know you're going to be at the Sacred Heart Chapel tonight at 7 p.m. 
for those who want to join you for Bible study. And then, of course, those who don't want to go out at night, you make yourself available on Thursdays at 1 o'clock to do another Bible study for those who can't make it out at night. But I want to ask you uh, this question. As we go on with reading the Bible with the barbers, what's our real goal here? Is it to get people excited about reading the Bible every day in their life? Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. And to get excited about what God has to say to you, to me individually? Right. And to recognize that, yes, this is directed toward me individually, that each one of us individually, God is speaking to us Mm. individually. He loves us. He loves us so much that he did all of this for us. And absolutely, we want, we want to be excited about the Bible. We want to be excited about our relationship with God. We want to be excited about the fact that we even exist because God loved us into being and he continues to love us. If he didn't think about us at every single moment, we would cease to be. God loves us so much. He never stops thinking about us. Well said. And if you'd like to join Mary at the Spiritual Warfare Conference, January 11th and 12th, coming up in a couple, four weeks, six weeks, the new year. Uh, you're welcome to join us by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. If you'd like to help us financially, we're still in need of monthly donors because we have monthly bills. <laughs> Go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call us at 877-526-2151. I also want to recommend <clears throat> that if you have a friend who's got interest in reading the Bible from the basics, Come on Sun. Uh, come on Sat, uh, Thursday, Tuesdays at seven p.m. so they can learn more about this, uh, the, the great gift that the church has, the Bible. And Mary, <clears throat> I always leave, leave Jesse and I. We always leave on what state should you be living in, Mary? What should we be living? What state? The state of grace. And what state shouldn't we be living in? The state of mortal sin. Not even for a minute. Not even for a minute. Okay, you heard it from <laughs> my wife. Hey, I want to thank everybody. I hear the music coming on. This is uh, Terry Barber, Mary Danielle. We're honored to be in your living room at home or your car talking about the greatest treasure we have, which is the Bible, God's love letter. Remind you to read it every day, and we hope to see you again next week at the same time. Or if you're going to come to today at the 7 p.m. Bible study at the Sacred Heart Chapel, we'd be honored to have you. Or on Thursday at 1 p.m. May God richly bless you and your family. And uh, I love Fulton Sheen, so I'm going to say it. Full Sheen ahead, folks. See you again tomorrow on the Terry and Jesse Show. God love you. You have <clears> All right, my love. How do you I know said that talk- voice just said? Because we all do. <laughs> and the words you speak to yourself matter a lot. Our words shape our self-perception. Our self-perception shapes our actions. Our actions shape our lives. Words are at the foundation of our whole lives. What words do you speak to yourself? The book of Revelations calls the devil the accuser of our brothers. He wants us to amplify the negative words in our heads. God reveals the truth about who we are. But he didn't do that so you wait for me to preach it to you. Preach it to yourself. When the voice within starts saying, I'm weak, used, washed up, not pretty enough, skinny enough, smart enough, I'll never be enough. Replace that with words like, I'm blessed. I'm chosen. I'm beautiful. I am a son or daughter of the King of Heaven. I don't mean that figuratively. I mean it literally. Look in the mirror and preach the truth to yourself. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com. Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.